0: Well, as we announced earlier, Pastor Grant uh, had to go out of town, and so we have the privilege of hearing from John Henderson. He's been here before many times, and we uh, always look forward to hearing his, his message. He has a faithful commitment to bring God's Word, and he does it time and time again. And so what a great privilege it is to bring him here this morning. And, you know, John has devoted a lifetime of investing in people's spiritual development not only as a professional baseball player, a missionary with athletes in action, the director of student ministries in New Zealand, and currently as the director of staff training and development uh, for developing leaders for crew. He's in over 20 countries in Eastern Europe and Russia. And As a matter of fact, he just got back this week from travel abroad. And with about 48 hours of notice, he's here. And we are so thankful for that. And I hope you guys just are truly blessed by how he comes. If we could all just give him a thank you. Welcome to fellowship.
1: Thanks, bud. Good morning, church. Good to be with you as always. It's my privilege to fill in for my very good friend, your pastor, Grant. Uh, We go back many years, and um, every time I come up here from Austin, I think, I should just move here. I like you all a lot (laughs) Um, I just did get back uh, from Poland and Bulgaria Uh, I am involved For the last 20 years I've been involved in discipling, training, equipping uh, Preparing, developing ministry leaders uh, Of believers in that part of the world So pastors, church planters, missionaries I absolutely love my job Uh, I kind of hate the commute but I love what I get to do there when I'm there. I'm over there six or seven times a year in some country. And this last trip was Bulgaria and uh, Poland. By way of encouragement this morning, I would say to you just to affirm that God is alive and at work in Eastern Europe. Uh, there are Christ followers this very day who are meeting in churches, who are worshiping the Lord and proclaiming his name. Um, I have the privilege of meeting some of them On this side of heaven, you will have a chance in heaven to meet some wonderful people. I just got a little head start on you. One of the things I've shared with some of you in the past when I've been here, I've been in a season the last couple of years that I'm copying out Scripture. Copying it. And you might suggest, well, John, you know we have Bibles already printed. They're available if you need one. We'll give you a Bible. You don't need to copy your own. And there's a variety of versions, obviously, that can be downloaded. And I get all that. The idea comes from Deuteronomy 17, where the nation Israel is instructed that when, when a new king sits on the throne, the first assignment of that new king is to copy out his own copy of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then to keep it with him and observe it. All his days. Now, in his context, you could say, well, of course, because you couldn't just go to the neighborhood bookstore or download the latest version. Uh, You kind of had to make a copy so you had your own, and that would have been true. But I think it's more than that. I think there is something incredibly powerful about writing out scripture because what you have to do is you have to slow down and observe every single Word. And what my experience has been in the process over the last few years of doing this is I suddenly discover, notice, see something that I hadn't seen or noticed before, even in very familiar passages. And so I'm really enjoying this time. In fact, I've already thinking in my mind on my on my drive home, I might just find a little place to sneak away for an hour. I always keep my camping chair in the back of my truck and I'll just pull it out and find a little creek or a river or a little tree and I got my Bible and got my camping chair and I might write for a couple hours. In in these last few months, my goal has been writing out the book of Psalms and I'm up to 112 and I'm kind of slowing down because I'm anticipating this sorrow when I'm done because I've been enjoying it so much. But I've already decided I'm going to do Proverbs when I get done with Psalms. So I, I, I have more to do. But so when the opportunity came to come here and, and to, uh, to do some study with you, well, I, my mind naturally went to Psalms. That's in my mind and on my heart. And so uh, we're going to study together this morning, Psalm 107. So if you want to make your way there, I'm going to share some discoveries that I've had in Psalm 107 uh, not too long ago. In this psalm, what I have seen in a new way is that there are four journeys in this psalm. Four different people on four different journeys. And these, I think, are very common journeys, whether you live in Bulgaria or Poland or right here in Texas. They're kind of journeys that that humans can often find themselves on. And in all of these journeys, there is the presence of God. There is this spiritual element that's part of the journey, even though not everyone acknowledges the presence of God in the journey. But nonetheless, he's in it anyway. And so the focus of this psalm is to acknowledge the loving kindness of God's hand in the midst of these four journeys. And so the first journey starts in verse 4. And I'm going to call this person or this journey the wanderer who is lost in the wilderness. Verse 4. Psalm 107 verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. And they could not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry. They were thirsty. And their soul fainted within them. The characteristics of the person on this journey is that they are in a desert. They are in a wasteland. It feels as though they're living life in a wilderness. And in the wilderness, there's no clear path how to get out. There's no clear direction. There's no clear road that takes them out of the wilderness to the inhabited city. The, The inhabited city represents the place where The comforts of civilization and the comforts of people exist. And when you're in the wilderness, you're trying to find a city because that is your way out. And it describes these people in this journey as they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired. They have no strength to continue. Their their soul faints within them. And it occurs to me that that sometimes this can be a description of life. Sometimes this can be a description of a journey that we might find ourselves on. Where we're feeling weary in body and spirit. Where we're feeling like we're, we're lost. We're feeling like there's no clear way out of this. And I'm, I'm not sure which direction to go... Because if I choose the wrong direction, it's simply going to lead me further into the wilderness. But where I'm really trying to get to is to the inhabited city. And with nowhere else to turn, the lost wanderers in these verses do exactly the right thing. They cry out to God. Look at verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. And he led them also by a straight way to go to the inhabited city. God shows himself to be a redeemer, a rescuer of people in situations that can seem hopeless. In the wilderness, there are so many different directions that could be taken. But of all the paths that could be taken, God is the one with all wisdom. Who can lead us in the right path that takes us out of the wilderness. And what they could not find for themselves, God showed them. And he led them on the right path to the place of rest, which was what they were pursuing and what they were seeking all along. They just couldn't find it on their own. Look at verse 8. Let them therefore give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul, he has filled with what is good. God and God alone is the one who satisfies the hunger. He is, he is the only one who satisfies the thirst that we have. That is a thirst and a hunger that we cannot satisfy on our own. It is only satisfied when we come to him, because he is the source of the living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. See, this is what God does. And the wise person, the perceptive person, recognizes the loving kindness of the hand of God at work in their life. And when they recognize it, they're thankful for it. And they acknowledge that God is able to do wonders, even in the life of the wanderer who is lost in the wilderness, if they will just cry out to Him. Journey number two starts in verse 10. This person I will call the prisoner who is in darkness. Person or journey number two, verse 10. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in misery and chains. Because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This person on this journey is described as being in darkness. And they're described as as being under this shadow, under this cloud where there is impending judgment. There's impending death that feels like it's just around the corner. And they're described as being in misery, in chains, in bondage. And notice, this isn't just physical darkness. Physical darkness is the absence of light. Spiritual darkness is the absence of God. And that is a far darker existence. And when we reject the light of God, the wisdom that He offers, you know what happens? We enter into our own slavery and our own bondage of our own devices. And we create our own bondage because we have rejected the light. Notice in verse 10, why does this darkness exist? It exists because God's word, God's truth was rejected. His truth was spurned. And so therefore, thinking that we know better, we ignore his way and we go our own. And the result is darkness. The absence of God. And that is a miserable place to be. Look at verse 12. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor, and they stumbled, and there was none to help. Do you know that God will sometimes, oftentimes, humble the heart of the proud? Do you know why he does that? He doesn't do that because he likes making people miserable. That's not why he humbles the heart of the proud. He humbles the heart of the proud because he understands... That to break the pride... Means to break the thing that is holding the person in darkness in bondage. It is the pride that has imprisoned them. And so when God confronts a person's pride... He does so because he's trying to wake them up. That you don't even realize the darkness that you're in because you are so prideful and confident in your own way. Because what God wants to do by breaking the pride is to recognize, wow, I'm in darkness. Great. God says, come on, let me lead you into the light. It's been said that real change, real change, rarely happens until a person comes to the undeniable conclusion that their current course of action is taking them somewhere they don't want to go. Until a person comes to the realization that where I'm going in my life, if I play it out all the way to the end is taking me somewhere I don't want to be, until that moment, they will continue on the path. And God is saying, I don't want you on that path. I want you on the path of light. Cry out to me. Which is exactly what they do here. Verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. And he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and he broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered gates of bronze and cut down bars of iron asunder. Out of desperation, they cried out to the Lord and he heard them. And he responds to them. And he frees them from the darkness and from the, the, the bondage that they had created for themselves because they had rejected God's word and found themselves in an existence that did not include him. You see, this is what God does. Many of us in this room are living proof. This is what God does. The wise person recognizes that the loving kindness of God's hand is at work. They see it, and they're so grateful for it, and they acknowledge that God is able to do wonders even in the life of a prisoner who is in darkness. If they will cry out to Him. The third person starts in verse 17. I'll call this person the fool who is in rebellion. Verse 17. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquity, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Rebellion against God, which is a simple way of defining the biblical concept of sin, Rebellion against God as is the foundation of all pain and all sorrow. They're called fools here because they afflict themselves with all sorts of pain, with all sorts of suffering, and they don't even realize it's because of their own choices. And when a person rebels against God... The result is always unnecessary and self-inflicted pain and suffering. And then here's the irony of it. Oftentimes, that person then will shake their fist in defiance to God for the pain that they're suffering as if he's to blame. All along, unwilling to recognize it's because of their own doing. This image also describes the spiritual reality of a person's soul that is so weak and so sick and so neglected and so starved that their soul is so unhealthy because of spiritual starvation. And they feel as though they're near death. Look at verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. And he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. And let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Like the wanderer, like the prisoner, The fool also, in desperation, cries out to God. And God hears and God saves and delivers them from their own destruction. And notice in verse 20 how he does it. He sent his word and healed them. His word, his truth. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In my first eight years in ministry, I was, as Jason mentioned, with Athletes in Action. And I was at the University of Texas working with the athletes there, uh, sharing Christ and discipling them. On one of the uh, buildings in the center of campus is part of a phrase I just read to you. And the phrase is, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The implication is that if you come to the University of Texas, we have the truth and we will give it to you and we will set you free. You understand, right, that they only took part of that verse? They didn't take the first part. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you remain in my truth, if you come under the teaching of what my wisdom teaches to you, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Come on now, quote the whole verse. This book is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This book redeems. This book transforms. This book renews. That's why it has to be part of your daily diet. You have to be in this on your own. I know that you get great messages from Grant week after week after week. You get fed well. But you gotta feed on Monday. You gotta feed on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You gotta feed because this is where the Holy Spirit leads us into God's truth. This is where we get wisdom for the things that we encounter during our week and not knowing which way we should go and where's the way out of the wilderness and what are the decisions I should make. It's right in here. You see, these are the things that God does. a A wise person. the loving kindness of God's hand at work in their life. And when they see it, they're thankful. And they're thankful and they recognize that God is able to do wonders even in the life of a rebellious fool if they will just cry out to him. And the reason that I can speak to you with this as such conviction is because I was that rebellious fool. And God has changed. God has changed me. And I'm living proof of what I'm speaking to you about. And so are you. You've had your own journeys. Journey in person number four starts in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea, and they rose up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery, and they reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. This person I will describe as the one who is at their wit's end. This journey is a little different than the previous two. Because in the previous two, the prisoner who was in darkness and the fool who was in rebellion, they brought a lot of it on themselves. In this journey... These people are experiencing circumstances that were not of their doing. These were not things that they brought upon themselves by unwise choices. These were circumstances they simply encountered as a result of their profession. Being on the sea. And so these circumstances, not of their own doing, however, still cause confusion, despair, fear... Disorientation. I like this thought in verse 24 about seafarers, about those who do their business in ships in the sea. They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. There is something about the power and the majesty of the ocean that I think makes mankind feel very small. That some of God's most striking creatures and some of his most awe-inspiring demonstrations of power and majesty can be found in the depths of the sea. And then here we're given this picture of, of a, a glassy sea that is interrupted by, by, by waves, by white caps, and by, by waves that are so big they seem to be leaping up into the sky. And they are experiencing these circumstances and it describes that their soul is in misery and they're staggering about as if they're drunk and they're at their wit's end. Sometimes life can feel like that, right? Sometimes we can feel as though we're in a place where we're feeling lost. There's a sense of great physical and spiritual storms that are around us, that we're under this cloud. and We can feel like we're at our wit's end. Hopeless, despairing. On the verge of giving up. Verse 28, they do exactly the right thing. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He brought them out of their distress. And He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. Yeah, I bet they were. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. And let them extol him as in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. They cry out to God. And God rescues them from their distress. He calms the storms. He calms the seas. And yeah, they were glad because they were quiet. And then he guides them to safety, which is what they were after all along. But they needed him to lead them there. And they did exactly the right thing. They cried out to God. And this is what God does. And the wise person, the perceptive person, recognizes the loving kindness that Of God's hand at work in life and circumstances. And when they sense his presence, they're thankful for it. And they acknowledge that God is able to do wonders even in the life of a person who is at their wits end. If they will cry out to him. A good question to ask in Bible study is, so what? It's a great Bible study question. Okay, so what what is 107 in Psalms supposed to mean to me today in Texas in 2017? So what? Great question. The last verse, verse 43, says, Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. You see, wise people do not go through their day, their week, their month, their life Going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, without ever pausing, without ever stopping, to consider, to reflect, to ponder what's going on around them. To consider the presence of God. See, the wise person stops. The wise person slows down. And ponders these things. And considers these things. And reflects. That's why probably one of the greatest commandments in in Psalms is, Be still. And know that I'm God. And whether whether it's for the person who is the wanderer who's lost in the wilderness, or it's the prisoner who's bound in darkness or whether it's the rebellious fool, or whether it's simply the person who's at their wit's end, the way out is always the same. Cry out to the Lord. He is the answer. He is the redeemer. He is the rescuer. He is the one who's ready to show loving kindness. He is the one who does wonders in people's lives Even when the circumstances seem hopeless. Because that's what God does. And so, let me give you a couple of thoughts leaving here this morning. If you're here this morning, and you have not come to a point yet where you believe that Jesus is the Son of God... You have not come to a point yet where you have placed your faith in Him as your Savior. You're on a journey. Maybe sometimes that journey gets bumpy. Maybe sometimes you, maybe you've seen yourself in some of these journeys in Psalm 107. Here's what I can guarantee you. God is in the journey with you. He's right there with you. He's calling to you. He's wanting to lead you out of darkness into light. Because that's what he does. That's why he's considered loving kindness in us all times. And so cry out to him. Confess your need to him. He will hear and respond. And by the way, Fellowship Bible here, this is a great place to be on your journey. Because there's a whole bunch of people here who they're on journeys too. But a lot of people who can share with you how they've seen God's loving kindness in their lives on their journey. So if that's you, glad you're here. Stay here. This is a good place to journey. For those of you who are here who are already believing in Christ, you're Christ followers already. You know, sometimes as Christ followers, sometimes we still have some bumpy roads, don't we? Sometimes we have some hard journeys. Some things that are burdensome in our lives. Our response is the same. Cry out to the Lord. One of our greatest enemies is self-sufficiency. It's saying to God, that's all I got, I got this. No, you don't. But we know the one who does. And so cry out to the Lord. He is our rock. He is our shield. He is our anchor. I love what Psalm twenty-eight thirteen says. I would have despaired if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord. And perhaps one other application I would give to, to those of you here this morning that already know the Lord. Uh, it's the first two verses of this chapter in 107 verse 1 and 2 says oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary i like that let the redeemed of the lord say so speak of his wonders speak of his loving kindness in your life You guys know, out these doors there is a world who has no idea how beautiful Jesus is. They have no idea. So let the redeemed say so. That's your job this week. Have fun with that. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we confess and praise you and thank you that you are sovereign in all journeys and that you have been a part of our journey even when we didn't know you were you're faithful, you're kind, you're good and Father I pray that you would um, speak into every heart here exactly in the way you know they have need. this is your word and your word has power And so I commend every heart, including my own, uh, that you would speak words to us that that we need as we move away from here today and into this week. And Father, we want to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. We want want to walk, walk out of this place, and we want to be the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ everywhere we go this week. And we do it because you're worthy to be glorified and that people need to see how beautiful you really are. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.